Welcome to the smoking room in Highclere Castle. It's a beautiful room with some amazing works of art and with rather wonderful sofas on which we're sitting. And today, my guest is Rick Peacock Edwards, an amazing man who I met first of all through doing some charity work in 2018 mm. when we put on the most extraordinary air display. Well, I didn't, in fact. You did, Rick. And since then, you've written a book, which I've thoroughly enjoyed. It's called Rate of Climb. I really enjoyed it, and I didn't put it down. So here to talk about life, aviation, and the world of the RAF, Rick Peacock-Edwards. So, Rick, I, I probably haven't given you all your titles, of course. Oh, well, don't worry about that. <laughs> 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 Because I think you were Air Commodore. Air, Air Commodore. Properly, mm. aren't you? So yes. Air Commodore, Rick yeah. Peacock Edwards. Mm. And, and um, I've obviously I've met Tina several times over your lovely wife, who it is a real partnership, your life together in the RAF, isn't it? As Geordie's and mine is here. Tina was herself in the RAF, in fact. she was. Uh, I met her when I was flying lightnings uh, in Norfolk and RAF Coldershaw, and she was a young air traffic controller. In fact, she thought I was far too old, thought I was baby snatching. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you been involved in the RAF and aviation and planes, Rick, now? Really, if I look at it, my father was a Battle of Britain pilot, and he, he flew hurricanes uh, in the Battle of Britain. He flew ferry battles in France before the Battle of Britain, and then he flew hurricanes in Malta and then went on to Ceylon and... He's an ace, but I often think how he's managed to survive the war, I don't know. He was shot down twice, but he's got uh, quite a few credits to his name. And I've thought about it a lot, and as a, as a pilot myself, I think, how did those people survive in those days? And the fact is, as a pilot, you learn how to survive. If you don't, and if you don't learn how to survive, you die. Simple as that. I spent uh, 34 years in the RAF myself, but I've been involved with aviation, and I left the RAF 20 years ago, and I've really been involved with aviation ever since as well. So I, I myself have been directly involved for 55 years. This History Weekend at Highclere, and may there be many others in the future, looks back at World War II, the life of our parents and grandparents through it, and how I suppose they dealt with fear, how they lived well within that time period, never knowing how long it was going to go on for, never knowing whether they would win or not. And there were bombs or um, the fear of of bombs coming from the sky and I was chatting to someone about the different weapons that were used against all the civilians living in this country. So in some ways that fear is something which I think we're all trying to live with today, mm -hmm. never knowing what's going to precipitate a viral outbreak, very different, but nevertheless something which makes us live in fear and actually on my part to learn how to live with the fear and what I'm happy with carrying on and I'm sure each of us is coming to grips with that and perhaps you're better equipped than many of us to do that, Rick. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, certainly when one's young, one doesn't have much fear or feels that way now, looking back at it. But, I mean, if I just take the, 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 those 
pilots in the war. They, they were my heroes. My father and, and the Battle of Britain pilots were my heroes when I was young. They're still my heroes today. And, and if I'm really honest, they've driven my life. Throughout my life, I've done what they did, which was work hard and play hard. When it comes to fear, and everybody has fear, I've heard it time and again from those who flew in the Battle of Britain. For those of us who've flown in the modern Air Force or what have you, you, you get fear. You're, you're living with danger all the time. But certainly, sort of when you, I've always found that when I'm in the cockpit, you don't have time to be frightened because you're so busy. The fear just seems to evaporate. Yes. Um, it's not there. It's not there, and it's curious because obviously in the World War II, everybody was very, very busy. Yeah. And this estate, this house, was really busy. There were, you know, Canadian reinforcements. There was, you know, Bomber Command using that in the land girls. There was the children. Every single inch was being really well used. And I'm absolutely sure that was everywhere. And, you know, Spitfires were being made in, in houses, in garages, all the parts put together. Mm. Everything was being done everywhere at at huge speed and with huge as much care as possible. So it was very, very busy. And with this latest challenge, it's been very, very quiet and we've had almost too much time. So we haven't been able to get in the cockpit and get on with our lives. We've just been left hanging. So it's been quite interesting. And for us, when we were able to get back and start walking again, you don't have the time. You sometimes still wake up in the middle of the night with the fear, but nevertheless, you're starting to walk. And I hope this weekend is a, is a busy weekend <laughs> and a way of sharing, sharing different stories and to inspire people that, that there are horizons very close to us, further away and long distance. So we, we can set off on a journey again. So you describe it far better, but it is interesting times. Well, I'm sure when I mean, when I look at the, uh, those squadrons in the war, but of course, it was it was much more than that. It was a team effort because there was everybody behind it, and there yeah. were many many females involved in that as well. Sort of flying the aircraft, delivering them from the factories to the squadrons, working in the factories. There were the engineers. There were just so many. And if I look at it uh, this weekend, for example, the, the the face of what's happening here, and, and that's you basically. But it's a huge team effort. <laughs> but it's a team. It's a team effort. There's a huge team effort going on behind. So all these things that. It's a team. It yeah. is a team, and that is the joy of it. And they, everybody else has done quite as much as I have. Yeah. And it's just all somehow or other putting one foot in front of another on one direction. And it's been interesting, because when you do things like this, you, you actually build the teams a little bit stronger because you have yep. to dig much deeper. Yep. And we're way outside our comfort zone. I'm way outside my comfort zone. But it's amazing because I think, and we're asking people to come here and enjoy themselves and have a day out, which to start with was possibly also a step outside other people's comfort zone. But we have space, acres of lawn, gardens, large rooms. And I feel comfortable that it's a great day out. And People, I hope, will leave here cheered and encouraged to keep stepping on. And I have absolutely no doubt that, that they will. I mean, th th this is just a fantastic place. Just going back to the team again a bit, yeah. I mean, I think back to my squadrons that I flew on and when I was flying Lightnings. They were, we had 12 aircraft in the squadron, we had 15 pilots. But we, we socialised together, we worked together, we played together, we flew together in formation all the time. And you, you really have to, you, you get to, you've got to trust people. You yes. get to know people. And, and quite frankly, from my very first tour, which was 50 years ago, we became a band of brothers. And we're still, all of us, in close contact to this day. So it's amazing what the team does in building the bond.
I think it's asking us to find what our community and teams are because mm. that's what we've missed. But it, perhaps it's a way of resetting the button and going on onwards again. But I really enjoyed your book. <laughs> you know, you very kindly gave it to me, Rate of Climb, and. And I just, again, found your courage very inspiring and the idea of you, you saw something and you did it. You know, it's, it's easy to talk about things, but it was always, again, planning, preparation, planning, preparation, more planning, preparation, and then action, doing, completing, revising. So you've got that very strong process running all the way through it, which inspires confidence in those reading the book and is fascinating. Was there one part of your time with the RAF which stands out above all others? Or It was all very special, quite frankly. I... I traveled the world, I worked with some amazing people, um, I flew some brilliant aircraft, I did some special things, I really sort of developed a, a lifetime of experiences. I find it very difficult to pick out one particular thing. I could pick out many events, like, like introducing the tornado into the RAF, or like being the first, um, the first commander to be sent down to the Gulf in the first Gulf War my time in Washington. There's, there's many, many things. Quite a few things I have done in my RAF career were firsts. I suppose that was a bit of a claim to fame, really. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it was, Rick. I'm completely honest. I hope that if people are listening to us, they might actually consider a career with the RAF because it is joining a band of brothers. It's building a set of skills which you can take on to many other jobs later in life if you yep. so choose the laughter which was echoing oh, yeah. out of the book and some of the escapades <laughs> were such fun actually Rick it really was of course you, you have to realise there's quite a lot that's not in the book I thought there might be quite hard to choose what to include and what not to include and, yes and you're always making those judgments and then I I don't know I always let other people read what I'm writing first to say well, you should say that because there's so many silly things that I've done that I'm not sure I'm yet able to reveal. I was always determined to tell my story. And in fact, first of all, I'd actually developed a structure for the book and then I thought, well, I'll wait until I've spoken to a publisher, which I did eventually, and, and then he came back to me and he said, um, I think it's brilliant, Rick, I'll write it. So I said, OK, well, I'm a fighter pilot, you know, sort of, I don't write, I fly aircraft, you can write it for me. And after about three or four years of interviews and uh, phot photographs and things like that, and then nothing was produced. And eventually, sort of, uh, cut a long story short, I, I gave him the marching order and I said, the only way this book's going to get published is if I write it myself. And that was actually sort of, I found that a very pleasant challenge, doing it, really dug down into my grey matter and sort of getting it all coming out. Once I got writing, I really enjoyed it. And, and it was me. It was me. And I've always been a very positive person. And that shines through every page. And I, I think that's in particular when I, why I really enjoyed it, because I was turning the pages and and imbibing your positive spirit, which particularly helps, again, when you're looking around, wearing, wondering where to find positivity. And I think, you know, the RAF and yourself and all the other men who you were writing about just were imbued with it. My book was reviewed by the air cadets, and people don't know that there are nearly between 40 and 50,000 air cadets in uh, the UK, which is many more people than are actually in the real Royal Air Force. And, and my, the, my book was reviewed, and it was a very positive review. 
And I was pleased about that because the message that's going across to the air cadets is, uh, you know, there's something in here for you. You want to read the story and, uh, and listen to it because it'll help you sort of move into your careers and upwards and onwards from there. And, and I, I do agree with that. I want to give back as much as I've got so much out of life. I've had such a magnificent life um, involved with aviation in the RAF and afterwards. I'm still very involved with the RAF in many different ways. I wouldn't change a thing that I've done. And that's written in my book, I think. I, I, w I really wouldn't. I've just had the most exceptional uh, life. And I would recommend a career in, in the RAF or aviation to absolutely anybody. And it's interesting. I still have a, a fairly big connection with the air cadets yeah. myself. To this day, I, I'm mentoring a few of them. Good. In fact, they, they've come to me and said, will you mentor me? And I've said, yes, I will. And I've taken them through. Yes. And they're all doing, How you know, they're developing. Well, some of them are still coming up, but... <laughs> but I remember actually when I first met you, because, of course, I'd been chatting to Steve Bowell-Smith about trying to mark the end of the First World War mm. and make it a day of, a weekend of, in fact, of, again, of collaboration and friendship and, and also mark the achievement of the RAF and, and an air display. And Steve Bohill-Smith is so enthusiastic and so wonderful. And he said, I had to meet you. And he obviously dragged you along here. And you were just so wonderful because it's, again, that's, I know I'm out of my depth with putting on air displays, but and you and he and George Bacon, who's an also mm. a remarkable mm. man, mm. took it on. And I can't thank you enough for all your supporters as we have gone along. It's been quite something. What this little team at Highclere, because this is a team, and you and your teams have pulled off here, extraordinary memories. And people still write to me today, remembering it, saying what a, an amazing time they had and. This History Weekend, I hope, will begin. It's an inaugural History Weekend and will continue for many years, which will be good. And, and I think it will. I feel deeply privileged to have been involved um, here in helping you running the air display in 2018. And, uh, so kind. And my involvement again um, this year. So, no, it, it's been a privilege. I'm definitely a can-do man. You're definitely a can-do person as well. And, and I'm really I'm full of admiration for people who can do is one of the most important things because a lot of people sit around and discuss what they might do yeah. and sometimes they you know poke fun at people for what they are doing whereas i think in some ways those who try to do something and when it doesn't work out the courage is always in standing up and trying again and i imagine for when your father was shot down as you twice in world war 2 that the courage must have been getting back in the cockpit after each time. I think yeah. that must be the, the memories which flash back of how you got yourself out of the last escapade to get back in it again. Is I've got a lovely, a, a lovely photograph of, uh, of my father. He was, the second time he was shot down was in, when he was in Ceylon, where, incidentally, he was on his way to Singapore when Singapore fell with his hurricane squadron. They were an aircraft carrier, and he got diverted into... Uh, so the, the squadron went into Ceylon, well, just so happened he met my mother, um, who was the daughter of a Ceylon tea planter, in fact. So that was a bonus for me. The Japanese attacked Ceylon on Christmas Day, on Easter, Easter Sunday, 1942, and uh, he, he shot down a couple of zeros and got shot down himself. He actually crash-landed in a paddy field. There was a lovely photograph of him. Uh, he got taken off to hospital with shrapnel in his eyes and a few other places, and, but he got fed up with being in hospital. I've got a lovely photograph of him walking out of hospital Unfortunately, with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs>
my grandfather was, I'm so sorry he wasn't in the RAF, he was in the Army, in General in the Royal Engineers, and, and he was always smoking and the odd cigar, and my father was the same. I think my father started smoking behind the bike shed at school when he was 14 yep. and never stopped, <laughs> so, um, apart from the odd cigar in, as he went. When I was a youngster, I smoked too. In fact, I, I did smoke for a while, and I stopped smoking just before I got married when uh, Tina my wife, my fiance then, she said to me, if you stop smoking, you give up cigarettes, I'll buy you a car radio. That shows what we had <laughs> in the cars in those days. So she bought me a car radio. I stopped smoking and she bought me a car radio and I haven't smoked since. <laughs> that was a very good deal. <laughs> they all looked very debonair and kind of very racy as with, yeah. the, with all the flat jackets and the hats. And yeah. He was shot down once in Salon. Where was the other time? The other, the other time down? was in Malta. Did he land at the sea, or what happened? No, he, 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 again, he, he crash-landed the aircraft. I've got a photograph, I've got his logbook, in fact, here today, and there's a photograph of uh, the aircraft um, that he crash-landed in, sort of a broken back. He never bailed out. Both times, he actually got the aircraft on the ground. Wow. Uh, but a very bent aircraft. And did he end up again in hospital, presumably? Then? Not on the first one. No, he was yeah. back in the air either that afternoon or the next day. My goodness. Mm. So he had quite a war. And he started, he spent the first nine months of the war in, in France flying ferry battles. And for anybody who was flying ferry battles in France, most of them, most of them were shot down. Um, and most of the ferry battle pilots were killed. So, he, you know, I, I often think when he survived that, and then he survived the Battle of Britain, survived the Siege of Malta, the Battle of Malta, survived uh, onwards and then into Salon. That's why I say, they do say luck comes into it, but um, you make your own luck. You do, I think experience helps, and I think experience has helped us all, Mm -hmm. again, in our current situation. the experience that Jordi and I have had over the last, you know, 15 years of trying to run High Clear, yeah. we've used every single little corner of it <laughs> to get through this part. And then I hope, in terms of the overall strategy, to remain calm about it. And without a doubt, you need to have a clear head to make clear decisions in difficult times, which yeah. are objectively driven without subjectivity, and which are the result of having listened to many people and discussed it and then gone away and had the time to reflect. Perhaps when you're flying a plane, you, the experience and the training would give you the best split decision options to take. And then, I suppose, going backwards, the experience would help, help us when you have to make quite decisions again here, which way to go. But it is... Experience of getting older is bloody useful, actually. I think you summed it up beautifully. I think uh, the training, training is so important, but the experience, uh, the the more the the more you're experienced, and the more you the the, the more you can cope. You develop and and you develop as a team, Mm -hmm. and you work as a team, Mm -hmm. and all that relates to training as well and experience. So mm, Mm -hmm. there's no substitute for training, but of course in the war, the Second World War, they didn't have too much time for training in some. No. Some places. Training is important. It's all about processing. It's all the boring things at school which become very <laughs> useful later on. So when you left the RAF, did you have a clear idea, Rick, of where you were going after that? Is there a... In my last year in the RAF, before I had to retire, I was actually headhunted into a big aerospace company. Mm. I did think to myself, I thought, well, what am I going to do when I leave the RAF? Am I going to stay with aviation or am I going to do something totally different? 
Well, it didn't take me too long to think. I thought, well, I've had 35 years. I've had a fantastic 35 years deviation. Why would I want to change now? Yeah. So it was a no-brainer, quite frankly. I had no idea sort of how my, where my life was going to go sort of in my after Air Force um, career, uh, which is 20 years now, but it's been a fascinating uh, journey. I've, I've done a lot of things in that time that I never thought I would do that have happened. <laughs> and I've had, I've had opportunities that have jumped up in front of me that I've taken. I do feel very fortunate in many ways. Mm. And on, certainly at the times I've been in the right place at the right time. But isn't that because you've actually been working hard to... Mm. And if you're working hard and you're out there, you're more likely to be in the right place at the right yes. time. And I've certainly found that I've always been... I'm a, I'm a, I'm a willing, hard worker, positive, can-do man. And, yes, opportunities do come my way. Like people, people come to me with asking me to join them. I was listening to an interview the other day uh, with the, the, the last surviving Battle of Britain pilot. There's only one pilot left alive. He lives in Ireland. And he was shot down and survived four times, including sort of uh, once when his parachute didn't open. So his fall got broken by a tree, um, and that saved him. And, and I remember he said, I was lucky. I was lucky. He said, but my squadron commander, for example, who he said was, as far as he was concerned, with the best pilot he'd ever met, was shot down and killed at the first attempt. He said he didn't have the luck, I had the luck. Wow. I think luck obviously comes into it. Well, there's a very powerful poem by Yeats, isn't there, called The Airman. It's slightly more melancholic and less positive, but it does always make me think, but that was a lucky Irishman then. Anybody who gets to, the, to that age, I think, he, what an amazing, amazing people they, they are. Did you need a um, specific skill set from school to get into the RAF? You certainly needed uh, a, a specific skill set. I mean, I, I had to go through, because I grew up in South Africa, I did my aptitude tests with the University of the Witwatersrand, Johannesburg University, where I'd actually been a student. I did my medical tests with the South African Air Force, and, and I did my interviews magnificent house in Pretoria, which was the home of the British Defence Liaison staff there. Right. So, yes, I mean, medically is where most people fall down with um, poor eyesight, colour blind or something like that. So I guess I was, A, fortunate that I didn't have any of those medical problems that stop people from flying. Certainly sort of I, and, and they do test your sort of... Um, spatial aptitude. Spatial aptitude and thing, yeah. yes, and particularly here in, in, in the UK, they do sort of um, aptitude tests Yes. The whole day of them to check your sort of whether you're capable. Certainly, I think one of the characteristics I had, I've always been fairly coordinated, but sort of mentally as well, mathematics uh, is, is supposedly sort of my strongest subject, or it always comes out that way in aptitude tests. And you certainly need that. You need a, math a mathematical mind to some extent. And if you don't want to go into the fly the planes, presumably there's other jobs around in the RAF oh, yeah. they're also yeah. looking for if you've got less. Spatial aptitude or... There's, there's some fantastic thing. jobs, and, and in fact, even more so these days, because, of course, unmanned aircraft are beginning to come online. Yes. So other jobs are sort of gaining in sort of importance. Well, they're all important, quite frankly, but there's so many opportunities in the RAF today, whether it be at flying or air traffic control or uh, involved with engineering yes. or cyber security yes. or operations. There's a wealth of careers there. And, of course, it does give you fantastic training. 
Which, some, which we're back to the subject of training, because I mean, my, my own training, I suppose, was as chartered accountant, which I don't know with yeah. you. But I, my maths is not that good, so I, I had to work really hard to take the maths through. It, again, it's, it's a good training. It's that discipline about planning, process, completion, presentation, and reviewing the whole time. So training is so important, and there's not that many careers which offer you such a wonderful training, are there? There aren't. To be quite frank, I, I always wanted to join the RAF, but I didn't think I could from South Africa. It was right. But when I discovered I, I could, and I applied, I got it. But then on the way, I'd done other things. I'd been a management trainee with uh, Lever Brothers, and also I'd done time... I was going to be an accountant at one stage myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd even done a couple of years of, as an article clerk. Had you? Well, I did five years in my accountancy firm, and um, it was, again, a good training. My father was an articled clerk and went on to become an accountant. I'm not sure he necessarily wanted to, but um, he quite wanted to be a diplomat. But after World War II, his family had run out of money, so he, yeah. he did that. Nevertheless, retained his sense of humour and interest in people and businesses and and trying to do what he could to save them, actually. So it's a different way of serving. Rick, thank you. I hope there might be some really interesting questions from this, and I hope it'd be quite fun to do a Zoom call together if there were any interests later on. It'd be wonderful. I would be delighted at any stage to talk about any aspect, quite frankly. So I hope if there are some amazing students who are stuck inside in, in houses in the northeast or northwest of this country for the next two weeks, perhaps we can all Zoom together and talk about things be they delighted. can do in the future. Be, be, be delighted. Or find out more about your father, because I've so enjoyed chatting to you as ever and hearing about your father. And I hope when all this is over, you'll be able to return to come and have lunch with Tina as well, who I never see enough of. But thank you, Rick, so much. Thank you, Lady Canard. Thank will, you. I, that, that, you're very Lunch, kind. you're saying, yes. Joking. <laughs> 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 Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. I don't want you to miss out on the next one, so please do try and press the subscribe button.